Hi friends, I want to start the podcast off by saying I hope everyone is as safe as they can be while protesting and helping rid the world of tyranny. I hope you're checking in on your loved ones and taking time out of the day to reflect on your own mental health. There have been a lot of great resources shared for where you can donate time and or money to, and I'll link some of those in the show notes. Please, if you can, donate as much as you can, either if that's time or money or whatever, if you can just share resources, if you can't go out and protest or if you can't donate to a great cause. Not everyone can, and I totally understand that. This is Day Beautiful, a podcast that helps readers discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about books, culture, and life. To discover more debut authors, please visit daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social medias at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a Palestinian-American writer, teacher, and editor. Her stories and essays have appeared in publications including the New York Times, Granta, Virginia Quarterly Review, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, and more. She's also the curator of a Q&A series about Muslim writers for the margins. Her debut book is out now. It is called You Exist Too Much. Her name is Zaina Arafat, and I am extremely pleased to have her here today to talk about so many different things ranging from sex, religion, culture, and geography. Hey, Zaina, how's it going today? I mean, to be honest, I'm just so, I'm just like heartbroken Mm -hmm. and angry and like sad and upset and feeling despair (laughs) so you know but trying to i trying to do what i can to support and to be a good ally um in all of this so you know yeah i think i think that's the the main thing every day i wake up and i talk to my partner and and we and we're like what can we do today whether it's small or big and and right. and that and and these are conversations I think we should have been having, you know, before the 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 recent influx of events. But yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. I have a complicated thought process on how I've reacted to certain things. But we're here. Right. We're here to talk about your book. So even though the world is is the way it is, there is things to celebrate. There's art coming out. You you have a book. You exist too much. That is yeah. that is coming out on the 9th of June. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So You Exist Too Much um, is a story. It tells the story of a Palestinian-American queer woman who is tracing a pattern of relationships against the backdrop of Arab-Muslim culture. Um, and the book explores the tensions between religion, sexuality, culture, and identity. Um, and it's a sort of, yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's what it mm-hmm. is. <laughs> and in this book, you, prior to this, you have written in, in your work has appeared in numerous publications. So I, I kind of just want to start with you as the writer before diving into you as the author. Um, what got you into to writing? So I, I think I, have, myself, I grew up in between cultures, in between the Middle East and the States. And so I always had a sort of outsider status where, which was an interesting place to observe each, 
culture, each continent. And I think that that perspective is a lot of what, you know, drove me to sort of make sense of these observations through writing. And when I really started writing was in 2006, um, like after I had graduated from college and I was working in a magazine, um, but not on the editorial side. And I, a war broke out in Lebanon between Hezbollah and Israel. And I was really affected by the war as an Arab American who had many memories in Beirut. And I wrote a piece and submitted it and it was published in the Christian Science Monitor. And from there, um, things just kind of, I just kept going. It was a time period when there was a lot of like um, hunger for voices from the Middle East and Arab backgrounds because we were, you know, it was the aftermath of the Iraq war of 9-11. So I found that my voice was unique and felt, I guess, urgent and I loved writing. So that's how it began. And, and, and during that time working with editors because, you know, Arab voices weren't really part of the mainstream then it may not even be now what what was it like working with editors who may have may have wanted your voice but not known what to do with it if that makes sense yeah totally that's that's a great question because often what would happen is editors would want me to perpetuate existing narratives that were founded in a lot of stereotypes like they wanted me to write about violence and about, you know, oppression of women and about just like all the worst aspects, the ones that are just taken completely out of, like, you know, there, of course, these things do exist, but the fact that this is how the Middle East is represented in American media, just as being just that and nothing else um, is problematic. And they wanted me to perpetuate those stereotypes. And I really resisted that. And so I, um, had to navigate around that by trying to tell stories that circumvented those narratives, you know, human stories. And that's, I think what brought me to fiction was this desire to create Arab characters that were engaging in, you know, acts and activities and had just like any other characters um, from any other background. And when when did that shift take place? So you mentioned you, you, you that first piece you published was around 2006. When how long did you did you write until you started going into the fiction world? Well, so I was writing journalism for or like nonfiction for about four four or five years, um, and and really like in that time doing everything I could to circumvent these stereotypical narratives. And I arrived at fiction when I got to Iowa, um, my MFA program. And I, you know, while I was in Iowa, I was surrounded by a lot of fiction writers. And I just wanted, I had this urge to tell a story that strayed from, you know, any reality um, and where I could explore themes that I wanted more freedom to explore and locate them in characters that were invented. Was you exist too much the results of that MFA at Iowa or did it come after? No, actually, so I was working on essays while I was at Iowa, but also working on this novel at the same time. <laughs> and I, so I wrote, I mean, actually I wrote the bulk of it in like one semester at Iowa. I just remember I, it was just burning inside me and I, I sort of like wrote it 
And then I spent the rest of my time there and the years after revising it and revising and revising. And then during that time, just as I'm interested in like the writer as a whole, were you continuing to publish nonfiction? Were you and pushing the boundary yeah. of what people expected that was still unfolding? Totally. Actually, yeah, I was still publishing nonfiction throughout my time at Iowa. And as you said, trying to push that boundary and just present Arabs in a different light than they were traditionally seen in mm-hmm. U.S. media. Yeah, I find US that that idea of, you know, how Muslims are portrayed in American media has been on my mind a lot recently. So I, the, the, the TV show Homeland came out in 2011, 2012, right around then. And, you know, I loved it and, and et cetera. And then I recently rewatched it um, because the final season was airing now and I hadn't caught up with it. And I, it's just like watching it from a new lens, even five years later as a white guy mm-hmm. from, you know, a, a city. It's It's just, even I see how we've shifted portraying people from the Middle East. Have you noticed a slight shift or do you still, as someone who is a part of that world, see it as not much progression? Well, I think that the shift came with Trump's election because at that point, um, you know, many people who happen to be Muslim, like myself, really felt that part of their identity under threat and they came forth and tried to tell stories and that, that spoke to their experiences as Muslims that were you know, didn't lend, um, didn't didn't cater to that predominant narrative, one that like we see in TV shows like Homeland or in you know certain films where Muslims are like always the terrorist. So I, that's when the call to that that urgency to just subvert that narrative was so heightened. I think in the Trump after the Trump year. So I do think that the narrative has shifted. Some, or it's, I mean, slightly, but it still has a long way to go based on what I've, based on just my encounters with readers and even with editors and, you know, and what their sort of expectations. Yeah, I even catch myself. I want to, I, I want to further myself as a human and as a reader, but even every now and then I'll catch myself asking a question that is just like way off base and, and, and I like when authors will call me out and say, I get asked that all the time. It's it's not not appropriate, mm-hmm. but it's just like, come on, you know? And um, Right. Yeah, no, that's so that's very, like, I guess, self-aware. Mm-hmm. And cool. and I used to ask a lot, like, I can't think of the wording, but I, I, it would be like me asking you to describe an entire culture or religion or country. And, and I remember asking that once about two years ago and it's just like, I'm asking, no one would ever ask me about the Catholic faith, you know, as a, as a whole or whatever. Um, do you, do you you have those interactions still? Like you mentioned, like with readers or editors, is, is there still that obtuseness when it comes to having you explain everything? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there is actually, um, there, I mean, there absolutely is. I think that one of the things that surprises me about, I mean, I don't, I, I, I actually really appreciate when there's curiosity, you know, but I definitely am continually faced with such a lack of just 
knowledge and exposure when it comes to the Middle East, when it comes to Arabs, when it comes to Muslims. Um, and I, you know, I don't fault people for that, especially if they're trying to, um, you know, trying to seek out knowledge and to. Uh, I mean, when I. I'm sorry, I think you broke up right in the middle of that response. When, um, if some, while I'm surprised by the lack of, like, by this sort of ignorance, mm -hmm. I guess, about Arabs, Muslims, and the Middle East, I'm always grateful when people try to um, better understand mm -hmm. the region and the people, and um, especially the ones that live in their communities. So, so yeah, I mean, it's only surprise, especially surprising to me, given how much like America has meddled in that part of the world in recent years. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just it's so interesting how much not how much like, just you know, unknownness exists around it in this society. Yeah, I um like you mentioned how after 9-11 and the Iraq war, editors were looking for these fresh voices. I was fairly young. I was in seventh grade when 9-11 happened. So I, my junior high and high school was consumed with the Iraq war and then history teachers having us write papers on it. And, and even though my very specific part of the generation I'm from has grown up writing like essay after essay and research after research, mm -hmm. I find a lot of my friends don't know a lot about the Middle East and and what is going on there currently. And I'm not an expert by any means, but I, I do find myself reading more books about it because I'm curious about, about that, um, mm -hmm. which is just rambling to say you're right, that America has meddled so much in the Middle East and the general public still doesn't understand it. Right. It's true. I mean, it's a complex place. I, mm -hmm. I know yeah. that. But at the same time, there are some things that are like, um, I don't know, surprising that mm -hmm. are so unfamiliar. And as you said, it's a complex place, but as is America, but yeah. we as Americans expect everyone to understand, you know, where Little Rock, right. Arkansas is, or, you know, for instance, yeah. you know, we, it's like, how do you not right. know the capital of this random state? I mean, if even a friend of mine recently, like a dear friend, well, actually, I'll leave that out. But yes, even close friends sometimes will say things that I'm just, that have known me for almost my whole life. And they, they when I'm, they'll ask questions that I'm just so surprised by. Mm -hmm. And it really speaks to this level of just misunderstanding and ignorance. Mm -hmm. And in your book, you mentioned you wanted to write just a character and just a story without having it you know, be about anything other than this character's experience. So you have that freedom. You wrote it in a semester. How quickly did, I mean, obviously that's quick, but how quickly did the character, did the idea unfold? Was it over a single night, a weekend? When when did you really get a grasp on this was becoming a novel? Well, so, I mean, I shouldn't really say that I wrote it in a semester. I, I kind of envisioned an entire plot line within a semester so it was like a skeleton and then developing the character and you know the relationships and the um you know the backdrop all of that was what took 
I guess, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I mean, so much of, so the character herself, the protagonist is really, she embodies a lot of contradictions that intersect, that overlap. She's messy um, in the sense that like these contradictions and um, are not reconciled, you know, they're just sort of left to exist as they do. And she has darker sides. She behaves in destructive ways. And all of that was, you know, it took time to really create, I think, what I think of as a very complex Arab Muslim queer character. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there was a lot of the impetus behind that was to sort of show what, you know, um, what this level of shame um, and internalized homophobia that she struggles with, how that can manifest, um, not always in positive ways. So really getting at those tensions and the way that they present was the bulk of the work. And as you said, like, I wanted to tell a story that was, you know, where the characters happen to be Arab and happen to be Muslim, rather than that being like the central, just like feature of their identity. Um, because I, this was a way to me of subverting, you know, that dominant narrative. And also just, I think that oftentimes it's through like fiction and just through a story that perceptions are, people's perceptions are subconsciously changed or influenced, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And at least, at least they can, at least in this way, an Arab woman is humanized rather than just like this, I don't know, abstract entity that comes with a set of associations in the mind of like a Western um, audience. Mm-hmm. And and I think yeah, even yeah. myself expecting, I don't know if I expected this, but I remember reading the Kirkus review and it said, oh, this isn't an immigration story. This is just a story of this woman going from place to place, experience yeah. sexuality and viewing religion differently. And I think by the time I finished it, I really grasped like, this is, a, a story for anyone, regardless of background or or expectations. Um, right. The character is unnamed, which I always yeah. find interesting. Was that uh, a choice from the beginning, or or when did you decide that she would be anonymous? It wasn't a choice from the beginning. Actually, it it came maybe around year four or five, where I it spoke to, to me. Leaving her unnamed spoke to the theme of. Um, existing too much, which essentially for her means like is basically a call to action, which is to exist less mm-hmm. as much as possible. And so having no name, you know, it lets her take up less presence on the page. And that's why she has, I mean, there are certain moments and relationships in which she, she has no dialogue even where it's mm-hmm. just, you never hear her speak because I wanted to sort of, yeah, there was a way to tap into that theme of existing too much, i.e. trying to exist less. Yeah. And, and is that also why we kind of go in and out of vignettes and, and, and we go from place to place just to get these very specific moments with no... I mean, so, right, part of why we go in and out of these vignettes the way that we do is to... I mean, one of my goals was to show how the past and a person's both personal and collective cultural, you know, past can influence their present self. Um, And so those flashbacks, those vignettes, 
that are interwoven, that are moving in different time periods, is meant to illustrate precisely that, how the past affects the present version of a person. And um, that I didn't have these transitions because I didn't have, you know, these, I didn't really set up transitions because A, I just grasped, I wanted the, I trusted, I think that the reader would grasp that one mem- one incident in the present is triggering this sort of like memory or speaking to this. And the, the character isn't, you know, conscious of this herself. It's discovering it as she goes. Like, I wanted it to feel as natural as possible almost, where it was like, oh, this is just immediately triggered. The reason she's reacting this way is because it's something in her subconscious is triggered based on this memory that she had when she was 12 or when she was, you know, a teenager or whenever. Um, and some of those memories, a lot of them take place in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, they are, are interwoven with scenes that occur in the U.S. And I think, I mean, speaking of this not being an immigrant story, I don't think it's an immigrant story per se, but it is a story of immigration insofar as there is a, this is the, this is the, I'm trying to depict what it looks like for a first generation American um, and the way that the home like culture, you know, the culture of one's parents who are themselves immigrants, how does that still affect a person, right? In this case, she spends a lot of time in that part of the world, but also a lot of time in this part of the world. She's bumping up against her mother who is basically from a totally different culture than she is and who has the experiences of an immigrant. And so those memories are into that, those tensions as well. From a craft standpoint, how, how difficult or yeah, how difficult was it getting these memories to like seamlessly bleed into the today? Which came first, the today or those memories? Because like that really was the hardest part. I almost, it's hard to remember how hard that was, except I saw a picture I was looking through my photo album the other day on my phone and I had a picture from my wall in Iowa, which was covered in pages of the book and each had its own vignette. And I was trying to order them and see how they, you know, how did they speak to one another and what came first? I mean, I think they honestly came uh, sometimes simultaneously, sometimes just simultaneously, you know, and I, tried to like loosen my mind as much as possible while writing and to try and create, try and like leap from one present scene into the past and, and find a way to connect them. Um, and then, you know, upon revising, I had to really go back and see if that actually worked, which is why I taped all the pages to my wall and moved them around. But like, it was hard. Structuring the book was, was very difficult and it has a very unconventional structure that I was, super unwilling to change, even though there were times when editors wanted me, or agents, I guess, wanted me to flatten out the narrative and just make it linear, you know, which I didn't want to do. That would have missed the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, I feel like even though I'm asking these questions because I'm really interested in craft and and structure, I, I couldn't imagine this being told in a linear fashion, I think it would still be as impactful, but it would lose the essence of of exactly what you were trying to get, how the past influences the now, and we don't even know it's happening, necessarily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Mm-hmm. This book it deals with the cultural aspect, and part of that is is sexuality. Was that always not the central focus, but a big focus of what you wanted to push in in between these pages? Yeah, it was. Um, it absolutely. I mean, it was. It became. It was one of. If it wasn't on day one, then it was on day two because. I sort of started with a question related to like unattainability and why would somebody set their sights on what's unattainable versus what's at hand. And in this case, the unattainable became, you know, uh, unattainable women. And that allowed for me to, you know, create a queer character. Um, And which is something that, yeah, I wanted to do because I wanted to see a queer character, a queer Arab character reflected on the page something I hadn't seen much of myself as a reader. And yeah, definitely not even as a reader. It's something I've definitely rarely seen, if ever. Um, Your early readers, you know, from the Arab Arab community, what was their initial reaction? Oh, I mean, it's scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I think a lot of people, a lot of Arab readers were, you know, excited to see like queerness embodied in an Arab woman. Um, Others were, you know, surprised and not okay with it. (laughs) And, you know, the queerness of this woman is also uh, speaks to a lot of her shame and the way that her culture and her, you know, Arab community regards queerness and, you know, bisexuality. And so I, uh, and that's, you know, so in yeah, I think there was a mixed mixed response. There's a mixed response among Arab among Arab readers. You mentioned like you just like threw out the word scary. Do you do you mm-hmm. did you think about or I I don't I don't know how to phrase this. So I'll, I'll ask it poorly. Did you did you have to think about the Arab response while writing this page to page? No. Okay. You, I mean, like, I, I, I had to not think about it, okay. first of all. Like, mm-hmm. in, in the first maybe three years, I had to not think about it because I knew what I wanted to do, which was to subvert a narrative and, or a, you know, a dominant narrative and to create a real, actual human character and humanize her as much as I could. And I think that even though she can be, like, painful to watch, I think she has, like, tenderness and there's, you know, I don't know, reasons for her behavior and I want often like you know i found that readers find empathy for her which is what i would hope but the um i I started to think more about that as i started to have you know send the book out really and i would get you know editors would want me to put more camels in or put more women in hijabs in and of course like i knew i wasn't going to do that but i also thought about you know how that would be selling out my community and I wouldn't, and my heritage, I would, I just would never do that. And the shame I would feel if I ever did that would be just never, it would just, it would slay me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah. How yeah. often did editors prior to like wh- how, where you landed and everything, how often were they pushing for those stereotypes that they had, may have seen in, in different medias? Often. Mm-hmm. They wanted the book to be like what, I mean, as friends, yeah, they wanted the book to be something, 
different than what it was and that adhered to that narrative and that really perpetuated it and that really forefronted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Often, often. <sighs> it's disappointing. Not always. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can... I get. I mean, I personally can't have not lived through that frustration, but I can I can hear it in your voice. Just mm-hmm. those expectations that are pushed upon you based on X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. You mentioned the well. Part of part of what I like about the character is, and I think I said it to numerous people, is that she's messy, and that's okay. Like that is part of life. Yeah. And I feel like taking away even like if if it was a male character who's messy and, and off the wall, they're, they're lauded. And I'm, I'm thinking about mainstream, like Hollywood media. It's like, you know, they're lauded and they get Emmy awards. But when there's like a, a female character who's messy, you know, they're, they're looked down upon. Um, and so that, that's what really drew me to this character. And like page after page, I just was like, even the mistakes she made, and even if it was painful, it was, mm-hmm. it was like breathtaking to watch a real human leap off the page. Oh, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. That's what I would hope mm-hmm. a reader would take away from it. Yeah, I just... And, and was there any difficult scenes that even for you were painful to to write her into? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think what, like the way that she... Yeah, I mean, scenes where she will... <laughs> act destructively in what I view as something, a relationship that has the potential to be healthy. Those were really painful moments. Like really, I'm watching her, honestly, it's weird. Like she took on a life of her own and I would want to direct her in the right, what I found to be the, what I thought, you know, as a human being would be the right way to behave in a situation, would be a healthier choice. But I just, I couldn't because it would betray, you know, her and her actions self-destructive as they can be are guided by a past and past trauma past wounds both personally collectively and so i i couldn't step in and intervene as the, as the writer i had to let her come to those decisions on her own or hope that she would yeah yeah and i just and i just want to wrap up with books that you're appreciating currently or recently what what can you recommend to our readers that yeah that they could read well, I've been reading um, what about, I've been reading Ferris by Meredith Talazan, which is about it's a memoir about her experiences as um, an albino trans woman, mm. and um, from originally from the Philippines, and so all of these sort of intersecting identities and how she embodies them. Um, and what else have I been reading? I've been reading as well. I just, I mean, I, for a while I've been reading this one book that for some reason has taken me a long time to read just because it's so rich, which is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Um, I highly recommend it. It's really relevant right now as well. And it's also nonfiction. So those are just two nonfiction books that I've been reading. Um, I'm about to start reading the novel A Burning by Mega Majmadar. Thank you so much to Zaina Arafat for coming on the podcast today. You can find her on the internet at ZainaArafat.com and on Twitter at Zaina Arafat. I'll link both of those links into the show notes. 
A very special thank you to my friend Raquel, who was letting me use music from her brand new music project, Rocky Colin. The song we're using is What Is It, which will be out soon. You can check out all of her music at rockycollin.com. As always, you can find me at daybeautiful.net. All of the social media is at daybeautiful. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep checking out the website for more interviews and book recommendations. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.